Chapter 15 of My Airships by Alberto Santos Dumont. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter 15 Winning the Deutsch Prize. And now, 19th October 1901, the airship Santos Dumont No. 6 having been repaired with great celerity, I tried again for the Deutsch Prize and won it. On the day before, the weather had been wretched. Nevertheless, I had sent out the necessary telegrams convoking the commission. Through the night, the weather had improved, but the atmospheric conditions at two o'clock in the afternoon, the hour announced for the trial, were nevertheless, so unfavorable that of the twenty-five members composing the commission, only five made their appearance. Messieurs Deutsch de la Meurthe, de Dion, Fonvier, Besançon, and M. The Central Meteorological Bureau, consulted at this hour by telephone, reported a southeast wind blowing at six meters per second at the altitude of the Eiffel Tower. When I consider that I was content when my first airship in 1898 had, in the opinion of myself and my friends, been going at a rate of seven meters per second, I am still surprised at the progress realized in those three years for I was now setting out to win a race against a time limit in a wind blowing almost as fast as the highest speed I had realized in my first airship. The official start took place at 2.42 p.m. In spite of the wind striking me sideways, with a tendency to take me to the left of the Eiffel Tower, I held my course straight to that goal, Gradually, I drove the airship onward and upward to a height of about ten meters above its summit. In doing this, I lost some time, but secured myself against accidental contact with the tower as much as possible. As I passed the tower, I turned with a sudden movement of the rudder, bringing the airship round the tower's lightning conductor at a distance of about fifty meters from it. The tower was thus turned at 2.51 p.m., the distance of five and a half kilometers plus the turning being done in nine minutes. The return trip was longer, being in the teeth of the same wind. Also, during the trip to the tower, the motor had worked fairly well. Now, after I had left it some 500 meters behind me, the motor was actually on the point of stopping. I had a moment of great uncertainty. I must make a quick decision. It was to abandon the steering wheel for a moment, at the risk of drifting from my course, in order to devote my attention to the carburating lever and the lever controlling the electric spark. The motor, which had almost stopped, began to work again. I had now reached the Bois, where, by a phenomenon known to all aeronauts, 
the cool air from the trees began making my balloon heavier and heavier, or in true physics, smaller by condensation. By an unlucky coincidence, the motor at this moment began slowing again. Thus the airship was descending, while its motive power was decreasing. To correct the descent, I had to throw back both guide rope and shifting weights. This caused the airship to point diagonally upward, so that what propeller force remained caused it to remount continually in the air. I was now over the crowd at the Atoy racetrack, already with a sharp pointing upward. I heard the applause of the mighty throng when suddenly my capricious motor started working at full speed again. The suddenly accelerated propeller being almost under the high-pointed airship exaggerated the inclination so that the applause of the crowd changed to cries of alarm. As for myself, I had no fear, being over the trees of the bois, whose soft greenery, as I have already stated, always reassured me. All this happened very quickly, before I had a chance to shift my weights and guide rope back to the normal horizontal position. I was now at an altitude of 150 meters. Of course I might have checked the diagonal mounting of the airship by the simple means of slowing the motor that was driving it upwards, but I was racing against a time limit, so I just went on. I soon righted myself by shifting the guide rope and weights forward. I mention this in detail because at the time many of my friends imagined something terrible was happening. All the same, I did not have time to bring the airship to a lower altitude before reaching the timekeepers in the aero club's grounds, a thing I might easily have done by slowing the motor. This is why I passed so high over the judges' heads. On my way to the tower, I never looked down on the housetops of Paris. I navigated in a sea of white and azure, seeing nothing but the goal. On the return trip, I had kept my eyes fixed on the verdure of the Bois de Ballon and the silver streak of river where I had to cross it. Now, at my altitude of 150 meters and with the propeller working at full power, I passed over Longchamps, crossed the Seine, and continued on at full speed over the heads of the commission and the spectators gathered in the aero grounds. At that moment, it was 11 minutes and 30 seconds past 3 o'clock, making the time exactly 29 minutes and 31 seconds. The airship, carried by the impetus of its great speed, passed on as a racehorse passes the winning post, as a sailing yacht passes the winning line as a road-racing automobile continues flying past the judges who have snapped its time. Like the jockey of the racehorse, I then turned and drove myself back to the aerodrome to have my guide rope caught and be drawn down at twelve minutes, forty and four-fifths seconds past three, or thirty minutes and forty seconds from the start. 
I did not yet know my exact time. I cried, Have I won? And the crowd of spectators cried back to me, Yes! For a while, there were those who argued that my time ought to be calculated up to the moment of my second return to the aerodrome instead of to the moment when I first passed over it, returning from the Eiffel Tower. For a while, indeed, it seemed that it might be more difficult to have the prize awarded to me than it had been to win it. In the end, however, common sense prevailed. The money of the prize, amounting in all to 125,000 francs, I did not desire to keep. I therefore divided it into unequal parts. The greater sum, 75,000 francs, I handed over to the prefect of police of Paris to be used for the deserving poor. The balance I distributed amongst my employees, who had been so long with me, and whose devotion I was glad to pay this tribute. At this same time, I received another grand prize, as gratifying as it was unexpected. This was a sum of 100 contos, or 125,000 francs, voted to me by the government of my own country, and accompanied by a gold medal of large size and great beauty, designed, engraved, and struck off in Brazil. Its obverse shows my humble self, led by victory and crowned with laurel by a flying figure of renown. Above a rising sun there is engraved the line of the Camoines, altered by one word as I adopted it to float on the long streamer of my airship. Porceos nunca, tantes navegados. The reverse bears these words. Being President of the Republic of the United States of Brazil, the Dr. Manuel Ferraz de Campos Salas has given order to engrave and strike this medal in homage to Alberto Santos Dumont, 19th October, 1901. End of chapter 15